Uh, I want to encourage you to take out your Bible and turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, as we continue our series of And When You Pray. And I'll continue to say this each week. If you haven't made it to prayer meeting during this prayer series, I think you've got about three or four more weeks. But I really would encourage you, if you've never come to prayer meeting on Thursday night, uh, there would be a great way to put into practice what, uh, what we're learning on Sunday, mor- on Sunday mornings. Prayer meetings on Thursdays at, um, at 7 o'clock in the community house. So we're going to begin by uh, looking at uh, Matthew 6, verse 9. We're walking through the Lord's Prayer. How do we pray? Jesus, the only thing that we have recorded specifically in the Gospels where the disciples actually asked Jesus, please teach us how to do this, was teach us to pray uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And they watched and they saw him. And, And just think about this. If the Son of God came to this earth and came down as a man, and the number one thing most attractive about him and powerful about him was his commitment to prayer, how much more than you and I, right? So that's kind of where we're at this morning. I'm going to give you a little bit of a background uh, that Pastor Bill started us with, and then I'm going to pray. I'm actually going to pray this way, pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to walk you through it as we pray. Um, But uh, look at verse, uh, I believe it is uh, verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. Now, he didn't give us a, a formula or a rote prayer to say the same prayer over and over again, but this is meant to be a model for us. And so we said the first thing is our Father in heaven, and that is the first thing that we learned about that is that we have access to God. This morning, it's really important that you know that this prayer was given to His disciples. So the assumption is is that people who are going to learn to pray this prayer are particularly believers. That's going to come really uh, in handy for you to understand and and realize. And the reason we say that is because He's saying, Our Father. Uh, Jesus said that not everybody has God as their Father. God loves everyone. He died for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. He wants everyone to know Him. He created all people. But Jesus said, only those who have received Him, to them gave He the right to become children of God. So that's really important. So this is good news. As Christians, as believers, uh, we said in the first week, God is our Father. And and Jesus was one of the first rabbis to call God as Father. And the, the word is not even Father, like we would say Father. It's more like Daddy. It's an intimate term. So we have access to the God who created the cosmos and the universe in a personal, intimate way. That's awesome. Then he says, hallowed be your name. There's adoration, all right? So one of the purposes of prayer is not just we have access to God, but it's also that we take time to adore Him and to praise Him. Uh, The Bible says that the the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Uh, Jesus was given the name above every name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we want to make sure that when we're praying, we're not just treating dad like he's, you know, my buddy in my back pocket. Hey, dad, give me the keys to the car. But he also recognizing who he is and honoring his name. One of the purposes of prayer is that the name of the Lord would be known. And the name represents his character. Then it's alignment. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is the tough one, isn't it? <laughs> um, just saying, okay, God, it's not about my agenda, but it's about yours. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then we get into asking, give us today our daily bread. And he says, he gives us three things to ask for. Uh, and we learned about today is our daily bread, to bring our needs before him, our material needs, our physical needs, all of our needs. And not just once in a lifetime, but every day to come before him, give us this day our daily bread. And then this morning where we're going to camp on is, 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then next week it'll be, and lead us not into temptation. So three things he asks, we ask for. We ask for um, these three things that we're going to walk through each day, uh, each, each one of, of, uh, as we're walking through this. Let's pray right now. Let's do this. God, we thank you that we do have access. Thank you, Father, that we can call you Daddy. Thank you for your son Jesus and what he has done to bring us to you. God, I thank you that you love us and you are concerned for us as a father is for his children. Lord, we, uh, we ask that your name would be honored here this morning. God, I pray that um, uh, we would honor your character and that you would be true to who you are and that we would give you praise and glory. Lord, I ask that this sermon would, would serve to that end, Lord, to give you glory. God, we thank you, Lord, that you have brought your kingdom to earth in Jesus Christ. It's not about us going to heaven when we die only. It's about you bringing heaven to earth. And so, God, we are praying that your kingdom would come in this church, in this community, in this county, in this state, in this country, and in this world. We ask, God, that people would know the king and that you would rule in our hearts and that we would submit to your lordship. God, we pray, Father, your will be done, Lord, not our will. Lord, as we look to um, calling a new pastor to this church, we pray your will would be done, God. We ask in Jesus' name that you would be Lord over us and our church. It's your church, really, God, and we surrender our will to you. And Father, we give our, uh, we, Jerry has already asked for our daily bread, people who are ill, people who are struggling, people who have needs, God, we all have those things, God. Thank you so much that you're a God that wants uh, to meet our needs, that you're a provider. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, show us what that means this morning as we dive into that. Give us the courage to actually pray that prayer. Lord, forgive us as we have forgiven others. Lord, show us what that means, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, don't you wish he would have said, and forgive us our sins uh, so that we can forgive others? <laughs> or uh, it, just this little as here. Uh, look at this verse, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a very bold prayer. Are you telling me, Pastor Tony, that uh, God is going to forgive us as we forgive others? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I'm going to explain that this morning. I think that's what Jesus is saying. In fact, if you look down, if you have your Bible open, if you look a little bit farther down in verse 14 and 15, it seems like Jesus really wants to make this point. And look at what he says. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What does this mean? Does this mean our forgiveness is conditional? We're going to unpack that this afternoon. Um, a mom with her uh, this morning. It's a morning. Well, we might be here in the afternoon. You never know. <laughs> hey, Uncle Tony's preaching today. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, I love the story of the rainy afternoon where the woman, the mom was driving her seven-year-old, and her seven-year-old was pondering and thinking, and they were driving uh, one more, uh, and it was, it was raining, it was pouring, and, and the seven-year-old Matthew says, Mom, I'm thinking of something. And this kind of announcement usually meant that he had, you know, given it some thought. And she was eager to hear, what are you thinking? He said, the rain, he said, is like sin. 
And the windshield wipers are like God, wiping our sins away. After the chill bumps finished racing up her arms, she was able to respond, that's really good, Matthew, but then her curiosity kicked in, and she wanted to see how far he would take it. So she asked, do you notice how the rain just keeps coming? What does that tell you? And Matthew said without hesitating, we keep on sinning, and God just keeps on forgiving us. That might sound almost like um, blasphemous to you or almost like cheap grace or easy believism, but it's not. The nature of God is to forgive. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Over 88 times in the Old Testament, the, the word is used to describe God's forgiveness. Over, I think it's like 71 times, so it's 71 times in the New Testament. That one of the greatest themes in the Bible is forgiveness. Roy Lesson once said, if your greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But our greatest need is forgiveness, and that's why God sent a Savior. The nature of God is to forgive. I don't know about you, but my spiritual journey, I had a hard time realizing that. Growing up in a home where there was an alcoholic father who was very critical and very distant. And so for me, when I came to Christ, um, all the things that were going on in my life with my mom's passing, I was angry at God, I was upset at God. And the thing that really brought me to Christ was realizing that He was the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And I got the way and I got the truth, but I really didn't get the life until at least five to seven years into my spiritual journey after becoming a Christian. Because I was hanging on to this idea that God I had to do something to get God to forgive me, and, if I, and then if He did forgive me and then I sinned again, then I, I'm, I've lost my salvation, and I need to go back and, and rededicate my life and accept Him again. And, put, and, 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 and I just really had a hard time with this idea of God keeping forgiving me. I don't know if any of you have ever struggled with that, um, the famous question that often comes more from Catholics, but even evangelicals is, you know, you know, what if you die before you got to confess your last sin? You know, will you go to heaven or not? You know, we're going to answer that today. We're going to answer that from the Bible this morning. Um, but that, that, that was my struggle. And along with that, my struggle was, um, I even had a, a pastor say to me, you're very hard on yourself. Yeah. And because I didn't really get grace very easily. And when you grow up in a, an environment where you don't often see it, it's hard to believe it. And coupled with the anger and the unforgiveness and the bitterness that I had towards my dad, it, it made for a pretty miserable Christian life. Yeah, I was excited about what God was doing and about ministry, and I was even going to Bible school. But I was really insecure in who I was and in, God's, in my standing with God and in His love for me. And I think that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at how very often... Um, our forgiveness of God, in fact, that's really my big idea this morning, our experience of God's forgiveness is directly connected to our attitude in forgiving others. There's a symbiotic relationship there in many ways. Um, and our attitude in forgiving others is related to our experience of God's forgiveness. Um, we're like the little boy who was saying his prayers as he went down the list of his family asking God to bless them. He admitted his brother's name. His mother said to him, why didn't you pray for Cliff? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask God to bless Cliff because he hit me. And her mother, his mother said, don't you remember Jesus said to forgive your enemies? But the little boy said, that's just the trouble. He's not my enemy. He's my brother. 
Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, I remember the famous phrase, we all love God, it's his people we can't stand. <laughs> um, you know, we rub each other the wrong way, and our faith is lived out horizontally. And I think that's what Jesus here is trying to show us, that it's not just me and God. In fact, if you look at the first thing I want to look at just this morning, just as you look at the whole prayer, he always is in the, in, in the plural, the first person plural, our Father in heaven, okay? Give us this day um, our daily bread. Uh, forgive us, deliver us. When God sees us, yes, he does see us as individually. Jesus said the hairs of our head are numbered, but corporately there's a sense in which we are all connected to each other. Okay? Almost all of the New Testament letters were written in the first person plural, but we tend to take them all individually. That's just happened really in the last hundred years in this individualistic culture that we live in where we think, oh, it's all just about me, Jesus and me. But really, it's about all of us. In fact, uh, the latest issue of Christianity Today had, uh, did, a, did something called Forgive Us Our Sins, and it was, it was teaching about how Daniel, when he went before God and prayed and he confessed and repented, he said, it's us, it's us, and he repented for the nation. When God looks at us, the Bible says, yeah, he sees us individually, but he also sees us as corporate. Remember the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, they're, they're to specific churches, and that's important because what I do affects you, what you do affects me. We don't often see it that way, but that's one of the points here that Jesus is making. Uh, you might have heard this phrase, you know, I, I don't need to go to church, I, 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 you don't need to be a Christian to go to church. Yeah, technically you don't, but that's like saying to somebody, you know what, I don't need to talk to my family for the rest of my life. You know, I don't, I don't really need to be in relationship with my family. You know, if somebody said that to you, if you had a friend that said, yeah, I don't talk to my brothers and sisters or my, or my family, I'm not really sure, you know, you know that's, that's the same thing of saying spiritually, because the Bible says when you became a Christian, we became a family, we became brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, yeah, you don't have to go to a building, but you're already connected to people. And that's a, that's a major point as we start off here this, uh, this morning. Let me give you a few verses on forgiveness, if you don't believe me. Um, Micah 7 says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. There's this ongoing perpetual myth that the God of the Old Testament is super mean and wrathful and judgmental, and the God of the New Testament is Jesus, and he's all about love. Not true at all, okay? Yes, the Bible says there is a God of wrath, and there is a God that does, he is just, he will punish evil. But the whole message of the Old Testament is surely that God is compassionate and forgiving. That's why Jonah would not even go to Nineveh. He said, he said, I knew you would forgive them. He wanted fairness. He, he felt like the Ninevites were evil. They had probably killed people in his own family. They had killed a lot of people. They were merciless. They had nothing to do with God. They wanted nothing to do with God. They didn't know God. And God says, go there and share my love with them, share my truth. And he says, no, I'm not going to go because I knew you were a God of compassion and love. So the whole message, uh, look at Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. You know, some people say, well, you got to wait until they repent before you can forgive somebody. Jesus didn't. Jesus asked for forgiveness to the people who were crucifying him. Look at Stephen here. Stephen was the first martyr. You know, I was thinking about this, man. The worst, one of the worst ways to go is besides crucifixion. It would have to be stoning. I don't even know what that would be like. I mean, really? I mean, being thrown these rocks at you just like 
until you like pass out. He's, this is what's happening. He's being stoned for his faith. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. There's something about in the scriptures where you, you read, you, you find in the New Testament that when people are filled with the spirit of God, they have this immeasurable amount of love to others and this grace and this forgiveness. And that's why Jesus is saying, forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven others. In other words, God, if I've received your forgiveness, you're going to give me this ability, this supernatural ability to love others. We mentioned John 13 earlier, and it says, uh, Jesus said, a new command I give you. And people say, well, what was the new command? Love one another was was in the Old Testament. But he says, love one another as I have loved you. Okay. The New Testament is, says the, 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 the ethic that Jesus taught was forgive as I have forgiven you, all right? If, you don't, if we don't receive God's forgiveness, then we're not going to be able to give it out. Um, here's a verse, or Acts 3, write this down if you can. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Sometimes people say, well, how do I, how do I become a Christian? Acts 3 says it right here. He says, repent. Change your mind, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Who wipes our sins out? Yeah, we don't. We don't clean ourselves up. It's Jesus. It's his death and resurrection through that. Um, Look at it. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then I just quoted Ephesians 4. So our big idea is our experience of God's forgiveness is directly connected to our attitude in forgiving others. First question this morning is this, am I truly forgiven? Uh, I've had people say, you know, I, pray, pastor, pray that my sins are forgiven and I go to heaven, okay? Um, usually, I understand their heart, and I understand that desire, and that's a real genuine desire. We all want to know that our sins are forgiven. Um, and the Bible says very clearly that those who have repented of sin and trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, God has declared them righteous because of what Jesus did. So I have incredibly good news for some of you this morning. Uh, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have recognized that most of your life or all of your life, you were the one calling the shots and you said, you know what? This is not working. My sin hurts God and it hurts me. Jesus, I need you. And you put your faith in the Savior. When you did that, and it might be a moment in time or it might have been a process. You might not be able to remember. But when you did that, you were justified. You were declared righteous, not because you were holy or good, but because of your faith in who? In Jesus. He died. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. So that when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus, okay? A little acronym I love is Jesus in my place, JIMP. You've heard of chimps? Now we're talking about JIMP, J-I-M-P. Just Jesus in my place. Jesus, when God sees me, he sees Jesus. So I, you can stand here today, and what that means is that decisive act that God did, it was once and for all. He, he, he died for your past sins. He forgave you of your past, your present, and your future. All right? Now, if it seems too good to be true, then you might be actually now, for the first time, understanding the gospel, because it is. It's incredible. 
I, I, I've, I've told you this story before. I, uh, my daughter uh, do, used to do cheer, and uh, one time we were at a big cheer cheer match. You know, these cheer things are really intense. You know, they they have these 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 routines that they do, and if you do one, if one person just flips and goes like this, it's a point, and you can lose. And there's all this intense, nervous, you know, anxiety. And the MC got up one time at Jacobs High School. This is a secular event. He gets up and he's just trying to get the parents to relax because sometimes the parents are the ones that are a little bit more like on edge than the kids, you know. And so he just he just gets up, and I have no idea why he said this, but he just said, "Parents, relax. You're all going to heaven." Now, I didn't necessarily agree with his theology in that moment, okay? But I understood what he was saying. He was saying, you know what? If your future is cared for and in the end it's all good, then you know what? You don't have to be so anxious in the present. And I know that might sound a little bit trite, but there's a lot of truth to that. Paul says we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. All right? If we know that we are forgiven, it gives us an incredible freedom to be who we are. Now, the question always comes up, well, if I'm forgiven for whatever I'm going to do in the future and in the past, then can I just go out and live however I want? Now, the person who actually asked that, you could ask that from a, general, from a, from a standpoint of saying, okay, yeah, that's what I want to do, or that's what I, can I do that? And the answer that Paul said is no, by no means. If you were saved, God has changed you, and the person who actually receives that is, is a different person. Matthew 18 is, uh, is, is, a, is a really good uh, reference to what we're talking about th- to this morning. In Matthew 18, Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Now, rabbis in that day used to say about three or four times. So Peter's like, you know what? Jesus is like always like the, go the extra mile. I'm going to say seven. So Peter's like seven times? And what does Jesus say? No, 70 times 7, which he's basically meaning is it's unlimited. You should always forgive, okay? And then he tells them this story about this man who owed uh, 10,000 bags of gold to a king, and he didn't have it. And um, back in those days, you know, the word, you might be asking, why does, he say, why does it say forgive us our debts? Because in, that, in, the, in the culture that we, they were in, debt was a big thing. If you owed a debt to somebody, you were in almost like a bond slave or in, in, indebted to them until it was paid off. And if you didn't get it paid off, you had to serve jail time, okay? And so it was a real, it was a real serious thing. So when Jesus says, forgive us our debts, he, what he's saying is he's saying all that we owe God, okay? Forgive us what we owe God. In other words, and you, can, you can use sin and trespasses there like some versions do. But the idea is, is that we owe God for every, I mean, we can never repay God for what He's given us. He's given us physical life, spiritual life, and everything. Um, so this man does not have the money to, 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 to pay the debt. So what does he do? He begs for mercy. And the king says, okay, I will give you mercy. I won't send your family into jail. I'll, I'll cancel the debt. I'll pay the debt for you. The, the king absorbs the cost, okay? Well, as soon as the guy gets his debt solved, he's like... And he just goes out, you know, and the first person he, that owes him like uh, 10 bucks, he grabs him and starts choking him and saying, hey, give me my money back. And the king's officials watch this and they say, hey, king, you forgive this guy 10,000 bags of gold and he's out there, you know, you know, what's going on? So the king brings him before him and says, hey, you know, what, what's, what's the deal, you know? And he says, you know, you, 
You should forget. I forgave you this humongous debt. Can't you forgive a little? And then he throws him in jail. And it kind of ends like that. And the end of the story is Jesus says, you know what? That's how the Lord is going to treat you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. Now you say, what's up with that? That guy never got grace. He never really understood it and he never really repented. Okay? He did what a lot of religious people do. We, we come to church and we check the box and we just hope. But in reality, we just want God to bless us. It's all about me. So he never repented. It's about me. God, I want you to bless me. God, let me off the hook. He never experienced God's grace. And what Jesus is saying is when you do experience your, his grace, you're going to love others. So am I truly forgiven? Yeah, our legal standing and relationship is secure if you put your faith in Christ. Second question, why should I continue to confess my sin then? All right, that's why this morning when we did uh, communion, I did the John 13. I think that's a great illustration. We need a daily cleansing. The Bible says we should confess our sins because this comment not only applies to our initial justification, but as to the context of 1 John makes clear, confession is, an ongo is ongoing for Christians. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we, de we deceive ourselves. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. So I put this in your notes. I think it's on the screen. Our enjoyment of God and fellowship with him is hindered by our unwillingness to confess sin or forgive others, okay? So I've become a Christian, and I'm fully forgiven, but what do I do? I tend to stumble. I tend to fall. I tend to go back to my old nature. Why? Because I'm human, and I'm not glorified yet. I don't have a fully transformed in, inner heart, in, 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 inner, inner character of Christ. Christ is still being formed in me. So we're all going to sin as Christians. We're not, you ever heard the phrase, Christians are not perfect? They're just forgiven. Only one person knew that one. Let's try that again. Christians are not, it used to be a bumper sticker. Christians are not perfect. They're just <laughs> forgiven. Yeah. Now again, this is not being used to be used tritely or to use as an excuse for sin, but we sin and so we daily have to confess. And 1 John was written to, to Christians to, to test them, to help them to see if they are really in the faith. And so that's why he says, uh, he says what he says. Now look at, I put slide 10. This will, this will bring it out even more. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I really think this verse helps us interpret why we should ask for forgiveness every day when we pray, okay? It really does. Because we tend to sometimes stumble and fall, and walking in the dark means we hide our sin, or we deny it, or we lie about it. And the Bible says we come into the light, and when we bring it to the light, there's healing, there's exposure, okay? If you know somebody who's dealing with a pornography addiction, the best thing they can do is to tell somebody, okay? To tell somebody. If you're dealing with a hurt, a serious grudge where you've been wronged and you cannot forgive and you don't want to forgive, one of the best things you can do is just say, come to the Lord and say, God, here I am. You, you know my heart. Lord, I want to forgive like you forgave me. Help me to do that. It's like the, the man at, at the dad's group on Thursday. We looked at the, the man who's on uh, Mark chapter 9 whose uh, boy was uh, demon-possessed. And he said, Lord, I believe 
help my unbelief. The disciples couldn't cast it out. He's like, I don't think anybody can do anything, but God, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. You, you come into the light, okay? And when we do that, it says two things. We have fellowship with one another. We're real. We have communion. We have community, that, that word fellowship, okay? Um, and we have, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. Do you, do you see who, who's the one who's purifying us and cleansing us and forgiving us? Who is it? It's Jesus. It's not us, okay? The essence of religion is I try to clean myself up, and then I come to God, and then I come to you, and I say, hey, look at me. Ain't I good? No. The essence of, of Christianity is I don't have it all together, God. You need to, to do that. But I'm going to be honest about my sin. I'm going to be open. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stop hiding. And what that does is it creates an incredible bond with believers. That's why we do life groups. We do life groups so that we can hold each other accountable and encourage one another. You know, the reason why we confess our sins, the Bible says even confess your sins to one another, is because sin is deceitful. And Hebrews says it hardens your heart. So if I don't wash my feet, using that metaphor, if I don't wash my feet, if I don't confess my sins daily, what's going to happen is that that sin is going to grow. How many of you know of a person who was maybe even a Christian leader or pastor who had a moral failure? Yeah, we all do. Yeah. We all, you know, people say, why do good people do bad things? Well, because there are no good people. <laughs> you know, we're all sinful to, to some extent. So we need to go and have that time of confession and allow God to cleanse us. Confession is good for our soul. It's good for others. Others are healed by it. And most of all, it purifies us uh, and, and, and we are pure. Well, that brings us to the third question is, how is my forgiving others connected to my being forgiven? God not only commands us to confess our sins, but also promises to forgive us in the future and in a real sense, hinges our forgiveness on whether we forgive others after we have presumably been justified. Again, so my interpretation of this passage is, is that this is for believers, okay? We are to regularly be for asking God for forgiveness. If as a believer in Christ who's already going to heaven, okay, because of what Jesus did and because of my faith in Him, I'm not forgiving others, it's going to create a barrier between us, uh, between me and God, okay? And I'm not going to enjoy the fellowship. It, the analogy of, has often been used of a parent, okay? Nothing my kids do will get me to stop loving them. And nothing they do will ever allow them to not be my child. They will always be my child. But do they do things that hurt us? Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, I mean, I'm human, so I probably would fail in this. But it's not me. It's them that make that choice. And I'm hurt by it. I'm human, so my, in my hurt, what do I do? Ugh, ugh. But what does God do? God never turns his back on us. Even the prodigal son, what was the dad doing? Waiting for him, running to him, yeah. So this idea of losing fellowship with God when you sin, first of all, God is still 100% in you, the Holy Spirit, okay? He's 100% for you. He's there with you, okay? He's not looking to condemn you. I mean, there's so many reasons for us to go to God when we sin. And, 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 and this forgiveness issue is another reason to go to God because what he's saying here is that if you constantly are not forgiving others and you've got issues with other people, then that's going to create a barrier between you and I. You're not going to be able to receive 
maybe you're not receiving my forgiveness in the same way. Uh, there's a passage in 2 Peter which describes the graces. God gives the grace of self-control, of godliness, of brotherly affection, and of loving um, concern. And Peter adds this, very revealing. It's 2 Peter 1.9. Whoever lacks these graces is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? By the way, who's the guy that wrote that book? Second Peter. Peter. Does Peter have some old sins that he feels pretty bad about? Yeah, he could have had a list. A lot of dumb things he did, okay? But he received Jesus' forgiveness. So what he's saying is, whoever lacks these graces is blind and short. So here's a question for us practically. What is keeping us from experiencing and seeing how much God has forgiven us? Don't forget that God has forgiven you. I put down in your notes, our forgiveness towards others is proof and is an outflow of our relationship and fellowship with God, okay? It's an outflow. Now, what if I don't forgive? Well, I think, and it's going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I'm really not. I believe that this, this forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors is for Christians primarily, and it's in regards to our parent relationship with God, okay? Not our judicial relationship with God. We're already saved, all right? But I think it's overwhelming from the other Gospels and from Matthew and from Mark that, and, and through other scriptures, Matthew 7, that if a person continually refuses to forgive others, that might be a sign, and, and, and it could be a sign that they may have never, ever really received God's, God's forgiveness in the first place. So if you're there today, I don't want to scare you, but I do, I, the Bible does warn us. You know, don't, take the, don't tread on the grace of God too lightly. Um, I want to give you some myths about forgetting, uh, but before I do that, uh, let me give you a definition of forgiveness. Slide 15, uh, Bill. To forgive is to let go of the, of the right to get back at someone. It is a choice, okay? Forgiving is not necessarily reconciling. It's not all of a sudden saying, okay, you're going to be my best buddy. It's letting go of the right to get back. Archibald Hart says this, surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. That's what forgiveness is when it comes especially to relational forgiveness. Uh, now, we know from psychology that it's healthy to forgive, okay? But when the Bible talks about forgiving, he doesn't, doesn't really stress that, that emotional well-being as much as it says, you know, forgive as Christ forgave you. Um, uh, but it's letting go of the right to get back. Um, let me skip to some myths about, uh, myths about, uh, about this. Um, well, actually, you know what? Slide, uh, slide uh, 19 real fast. Forgiving others as God has forgiven us means we resolve to not seek revenge and we determine to do good rather than evil. Romans 12 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. See, the crucial issue always comes back to what do you believe about God? And one of the lies that you and I believe about God is that he is not just and that he's not going to do anything. And Scripture says he is just and he will punish sin. And there are consequences to sin. So when someone hurts us, we feel like we have to get them back because God's not going to do anything. And forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, is entrusting that person to God. 
and saying, God, you're going to take, I'm going to leave room for God's wrath. That's what it says here. It says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mentioned the struggle that I had in forgiving my dad. And it really, it really became an issue that I found when I got older was the more I could realize how much God loved me and that he loved me unconditionally and what he did for me and I could receive that forgiveness, then that's when I began to see my dad from a different perspective and not see him just for the hurt that he caused, but the good that he gave. But also maybe the, the God kind of revealed to gave me a kind of more of a compassion for him because of realizing where he came from, all right? And that, that takes, I mean, but really it had, for me, this is me personally, it had to be for me to receive God's forgiveness for myself, okay? Unfortunately, I wrote my dad a letter, but it was too late. It was after he died, and, uh, and it's not too late, but I ended up writing him a letter uh, about what I thought about him and forgiving him and, and just trying to love on him. Um, and for me, it was a point of healing that God used. But what it helped me to do was to begin to see my dad the way God sees me. And that's why the scripture says, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Because when you start praying for them, you begin to see people the way God sees them. Okay? Let me real fast just go over some myths and then we'll wrap up here. Some myths about, uh, about, about forgiveness. Number one, forgiving is forgetting. You must wait. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Number one, wait, you must wait until the person shows they've repented. No, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. The person may never say they're sorry to you, okay? Um, with reconciliation, you need both sides. But forgiveness is first about releasing you from bitterness, only second about fixing the relationship. Sometimes the relationship is never fully healed. Sometimes our forgiveness is a huge step toward it being healed. But our responsibility is to forgive either way, to let go. Number two, forgiving someone how somehow, forgiving somehow lessens the value of the victim or, or, or the offense of which the offender did. No, forgiving someone does not mean you are no longer feel the pain of their offense. Forgiving someone who has sinned against you doesn't mean you cease longing for justice. And it doesn't mean you are to make it easy for the offender to hurt you again, okay? So when you forgive someone, it doesn't lessen the offense. But that's a myth that we sometimes believe. Um, and then the third one is forgiveness is a feeling. You can't really do it until you feel it. And uh, I would... Uh, I, I, I would, I, would, I would go with what C.S. Lewis said about love is true about forgiveness. The more we act like we love someone, doing the, doing the kind thing, assuming the best intentions, the more we'll find that our feelings will follow our actions. Uh, you might not feel like forgiving, okay? And God may never give you those feelings, but the Bible says forgiveness is a choice. And I would say the best way to forgive someone if you're struggling with this is to go to God and, and ask Him for help. Yield to His Holy Spirit. Help him to remind you of the great debt that he's paid for you and how much he loves you and how faithful he is. And ask you to give him the strength. And you know what? Forgiveness is a choice sometimes that you have to make. It's not a one-time thing. It might be, have to be a choice that you have to continue. It's a process right, of times of saying, God, here I am. Lord, help me to forgive. Or I'm letting go of the right to get back at this person. 
It doesn't minimize the hurt, but it does allow, uh, allow God an opportunity to do something supernatural in you. When we went to uh, Arctic Blast a couple weeks ago, uh, I sent Isaac in to go get some pop in the, in, the, uh, in the kitchen, and he came out with a case of Diet Coke. And uh, most teenagers don't drink Diet Coke. <laughs> so the kids were like, what is this? And so we're in the van looking at it, and one girl started reading it, and she's like, acid. This has a bunch of acid in it. And so the joke on Arctic Blast was, we're having, hey, we're drinking acid, you know. But, you know, there's something called a litmus test or an acid test. And I really believe this with all my heart. The acid test for us as Christians is how we treat one another. Jesus said that, by this, we will, you will, they will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. And I think forgiveness is an acid test. And so this morning, if you're in a, in a difficult place with that, uh, we would love to pray for you. We would love to encourage you and come alongside you and, uh, and to point you to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are a God who forgives time and time again. Lord, unlimited. Thank you, God. As long as we repent and confess, God, you are faithful and just to forgive. Lord, I pray, God, that we would know how high and how wide and how great your love is, that you're the God not of second chances, but of third, fourth, fifth, 156th, and multiple chances, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to forgive as we have been forgiven and the courage to pray that prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Mary.